Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews, best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Right now, my conversation with Nancy Pearl, America's librarian, America's rock star librarian, is still up there. Uh, Check it out. Boy, what a story of how her first novel was written. It's worth listening to. The creative process, it's a great example of the the weird way the creative process works. So check that out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the wonderful Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about the PNWA, you can go to pnwa.org. If you're a fan of Fearless Writing, my book Fearless Writing, uh, and you would like to take a class, a Fearless Writing class, well, you have an opportunity, especially if you live in the Northwest. I will be in Portland next week. Tuesday, a week from today, uh, on the 7th, giving a talk to the Willamette Writers there in Portland on Fearless Writing. But the next day, June 8th, Wednesday, June 8th, I will be teaching a half-day Fearless Writing workshop at Tabor Space, right there in Portland. Half-day Fearless Writing workshop in Tabor Space in Portland. And there's space available if you live anywhere in the Portland area, northern Oregon, or even Southern Oregon. Come check it out. I'd love to see it. You can learn about it right there on my homepage, williamkenauer.com. There is a link on the very front page to that workshop. So I hope I see you there. All right. Well, today's guest, uh, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, Caitlin Doty is a mortician, activist, and funeral industry rabble-rouser. In 2011, she founded the Death, uh, Death Acceptance Collective, The Order of the Good Death, which has spawned the death positive movement. Spawned it. Her first book, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, was a New York Times bestseller. And she lives in Los Angeles now where she runs a, a, her nonprofit funeral home. But she's just also published her latest book, fascinating book, uh, From Here to Eternity, Traveling the World to Find the Good Death. Caitlin, Caitlin, welcome to the show. Well, hello. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. First of all, let me say, today is October 31st, and it just so happened my show landed on October 31st, and it just so happened this was the day I could book you. It had nothing to do with being Halloween. I wasn't trying to be cute. It just worked out that way, Caitlin. Well, so you're know the that, only one who isn't trying. You're the only one who isn't specifically trying to book me on Halloween. <laughs> Everyone well, and I did. You see uh... that? Okay. <laughs> all right. That said, um, so let me ask you this. First of all, I've interviewed lots of writers from all different professions. Uh, you are the first mortician. Uh, but what struck me is, um, obviously, you've got a really focused view on death and how it's handled. But you're also, I have to say, if you don't mind a little praise, a fabulous writer. And um, it is an unusual combination, I think, mortician and writer. And which, in your mind, came first, a desire to write or a desire to deal with death in a sort of positive way? 
That's a great question, and I've never been asked it quite like that before. Um, I was always, you know what I was growing up, as I'm sure most of your guests are, is a huge reader. I just read and read and read and read, and I was a fairly good writer in high school. I was, you know, in the advanced English classes, and I loved doing comparative literature, and I I always really enjoyed it, but I never considered myself a writer, Um, unlike other people I know who are friends who are writers, writers, you know, people who did the whole, I'm going to write every day because this is my yes. craft sort of, yeah. sort of tact. Um, I was never like that, but I was always deeply into, into writing and, and reading even more specifically. And then when I graduated from college, my degree was in medieval history, which of course has many lucrative jobs that follow it. Um, Naturally. And I was out in the world and I decided that I wanted to try and work in the funeral industry. I had studied a lot academically about death and I wanted to see what was actually going on behind the scenes and who was, you know, working behind the scenes and what it was like to see a real dead body. And so I got a job as a crematory operator. And that first year that I was the one cremating the bodies, I was 22, 23 years old. And it was so incredible what I was seeing and the stories that I was learning about the dead people and the living people who came with them and the funeral industry and how it was run that I knew in that first year, I knew I wanted to write a book about it. So I was never one of those people that I just knew I wanted to write a book. It's this thing came to me, it arrived to me and I, you know, I, I would never write a book, just a novel or I would never write a book, just something that, Um, I'm not compelled to write. I'm compelled to write about this, I guess, is the answer to your question. Well, but, you know, I got to say, for people, there are people who are just compelled to write is true, and I was one of them. However, um, one of the first questions you have to answer if you you are compelled to write that I think 95% of authors have to answer is, what do I want to write? And sometimes that's Mm -hmm. a very hard question for them to answer because you have to answer it as definitively in a way as you did because the more specific you are saying, no, I want to write historical romances specifically that take place in 1850 to 1860, the more specific you are in your passion, the better the work is. And so you came at it just from the passion first and then the writing has followed it. But really it's the same thing that that every writer I think needs to do in one way or another. Yeah, and I hear, knowing as much as I know now just from being in the, you know, writing world for the past, I guess, I guess starting in about 2012 and working with an agent and working with publishers and working with publicists and doing the whole gamut twice now, I've, I've learned a lot about the publishing world and I'm really, really, truly fascinated by it. And when I hear people around me who say, yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll write a book okay, what about, well, I don't know yet. Okay, and (laughs) and what is your platform? What are you trying to, you know, do you have a platform? Do you have a social media platform? Is there something that you're trying to do? No, well, it's like, oh, this is not going to happen for you. You're already a jaded professional. No, it's true. (laughs) What's happened to you? It's so true. It's so true. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm idealistic about it. I'm idealistic about new voices and and women and people of color and people being able to have these really unique viewpoints and write about them. But you also have to, in this day and age, you have to be able to have a specific thing that you're trying to do. You have to be able to market yourself and you can't just write about, you know, something and hope that it hits because I, I will just say personally for myself that if I didn't have a specific contract to write a specific book, 
that was specifically about a passion that I deeply hold, I would never be able to finish anything. I wouldn't be able to finish a single chapter if I didn't yeah. have that, that you know, sense of purpose and sense of, you know, people who do, you know, National Writing Month even, I can't figure out how they do it, how they manage it. I, I, I can't either. But I know some people who have done it and have <laughs> led to some wonderful books that I've gone on and interviewed them about, interestingly. So it does come in all different forms. Um, well, so I, so I was thinking about this conversation, Caitlin, and um, one thing I was thinking was this, uh, which is I think for a lot of people, when they hear about a conversation about death, might think, ah, why? Why, why, why would I want to talk about that? I'm alive. I like it. I'm not dead. I don't want to talk <laughs> about it. Just let me – why? why folk, that's the end. I, I'm still in the middle. Why is it good – why have this conversation? Can't we just stuff the body in the ground and just get on with our lives? Why do we have to have this conversation? I have my ideas, <laughs> but I want to hear yours. Well, a lot of people do just stuff the body in the ground. That doesn't mean they get on with it. But right. I, I am uh, of the belief that um, what I say is that the Grim Reaper has his hand up all our butts, and we're his little puppets. <laughs> so the fact that we are going to die is is just part of the fabric of our world and our lived experience. So the fact that even if you're like, oh, I don't want to think about it, you know you're going to die. You absolutely right. know that you only have a finite time on this earth. And whether or not you right. write a novel, write a book, have a radio show, have children, build a building, have a corporation, <laughs> all of those things are influenced by the fact that you know you have these deadlines, emphasis on dead, you know you have these <laughs> deadlines, you know you have these right finite amount of time in the universe so you cannot escape the fact that you're going to die it's a daily thing that haunts your subconscious mind that's just a fact so how engaged you are with that how open you are about that how self-aware you are about that is only going to improve your life right yeah i have to agree i i, I thought a long time ago that the story we tell about death becomes the story we tell about life that what you believe Absolutely. about death really is what you believe about life. And the more com comfortable you are with it, I think the more comfortable you – you can't really live in fear of death. It becomes just a, a, a game of, of racing from – racing a game you're going to lose ultimately, a game you're trying right. to – Right, and even more, even more insidious to me seems like the – not even the people who are deeply afraid of death, but the people who claim that they're not afraid of death and aren't really thinking about it, but that's not how it works. It's it's yeah. always there. It doesn't matter who you are, and it's coming out in weird other ways that you're not anticipating. And so the the how we so um, it, from here to eternity, you're looking at all the different ways death is handled across the globe, and 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 obviously you don't feel like in general here in America in general it's handled that great. Is that fair to say? That's sort of... very fair to say. I, okay. <laughs> I guess I, I set out to, to talk about these other cultures, and I try and be very open-minded and fair with other cultures because it's not my culture. It's not my death rituals, and I want to be respectful right. of, of all other cultures. But, you know, this is my own culture. American death culture is my own culture. I'm a funeral director. I own a funeral home within the funeral system of the United States. So I feel like I have pretty good footing to talk about the very real problems 
that the American right. funeral industry has. And so I, do, I don't feel bad about about saying that and having that advocacy. And what what do you think is sort of the when you think about the way the American funeral in funeral industry? And because I mean, when we talk about funerals, the funerals really are for the living. I always, I mean, my experience of them mm-hmm. that they're for us, and hopefully they're. I've actually enjoyed the couple I've gone to in my own way because my own relationship mm-hmm. to what I think death is. Um, but I mean, isn't it to help the living not just with the passing of that? person but also their own view of what it is to be human in a way can it help them yes, to that? maybe maybe hopefully right and it's an incredible opportunity and i i agree with you it's an opportunity to think about your own mortality and to engage with you have know, a fabric of humanity that's what a funeral should do and that's not the american funerals don't do that particularly well what funeral american funerals do well is they cost a lot of money they cost a, you know, proportionally far more money than almost anywhere else in the world, um, right. and they use a lot of, a lot of very specific early 20th century techniques for preserving the body, for chemically uh. preserving the body, for putting it in a big, thick-walled sealed casket, for putting it in a vault, a concrete vault underground, and it's a lot of layers of denial, if you're putting it bluntly, and right. security that's not really necessary, that costs a lot of money and that is not really necessary. But we have this idea that either it's the law that we have to do it, which is not true at all, or that it's somehow scary or unsafe to not do it that way, which also we, it's pretty easy to get over. So we have right. to talk about other opportunities and other ways, other alternatives that people have when they die. Boy, I'll tell you, I think of the two hardest things to change would be schools and funerals. You know, we, we, well. the schools are locked in the 19th century for the most part. And, um, cause it, but, it, but it's our children. It's our children. We can't screw with that. And death. And people, man, they're just, they don't want to. They don't want. I think a lot of people don't want to think about it, and people don't want to mess with it. So we need people like you who do want to mess with it, who can bring yep, some ideas. Did you, I when you travel you, the yeah. world, is there something you can bring that you think you can maybe squeeze into the American system a little bit that people might be open to? Oh, absolutely, yeah, and we're and that's already happening. It's um, yeah. really it's about for me. It's I think the biggest takeaway that I had from all this travel is that we need better spaces, better physical spaces in the U.S. And what I mean by that is I talk about something called holding the space, which sounds like kind of a hippy-dippy concept, and I thought it was as well at first. But it's the idea of, you know, for example, I was in Mexico for Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead, and you walk into a cemetery, and it's bound in by the cemetery walls, by the wrought iron fence, but it's these candles and it's glowing and there's music and there's families and there's fires that are lit. And it's just this warm, beautiful, communal place where grief is on display for all of these families. And we don't have, and there are countless ideas like that all over the world and constant spaces like that all over the world. And we don't have that equivalent in the United States. Our funeral homes are designed to be these kind of, sterile grandma's living room 
places where you walk <laughs> in and you file yeah. by you file by the embalmed chemically embalmed body and the makeup is on and it doesn't really look like right. the person and you squeeze their hand a little bit and it's just right. uncomfortable and people I get this feedback again and again it was uncomfortable I don't want to go to another funeral like that and we're not right. giving them we're not allowing people to come to a space where they're open to have any kind of feelings they want. They're open to cry. They're open to laugh. They're open to just feel safe and spiritual. Even if they're not a spiritual person, you can still have that transcendent moment. But we're not offering people that in the American funeral industry. And that's the number one thing that that could change. And it's possible and it's in our reach. And we're doing our citizens a disservice by not having it. People are afraid of death, Caitlin. That's there's a yeah, lot of true. people. Yeah. I think it's yeah, one of the uh-huh. big. I, I, it's a biggie. It's a biggie. And I, but I think you can help people. I mean, I do. You, do you have method when you when you meet people who are? Although I suppose people who come to you are perhaps more, a little more adventurous to begin with that they chose you. But surely you get some people who are kind of freaked out by the whole experience. Have you learned your approach for helping them deal with that moment, even though you're not? a loved one to them? Yeah. Well, I have people who come to me. Sure, some of them are, oh, you know, I've always been more, but I love this stuff. But honestly, a lot of the people that come to either watch, I have a web series, who watch my videos or who read my books are people who say, I was terrified of death, deeply terrified of death. Oh. And that's how I found you originally. And, and right. this sort of combination of humor and information has really helped me. But when I get someone who... It's pretty rare because I'm so enthusiastic about it and I'm so sincere about it. I rarely get someone who says, "Oh, what you do is gross," or "What are you What are you right. talking about? Why are you doing that?" Ooh. But if I do get that, I know I'm not the weird one. I'm the rational human being who understands <laughs> that death is the final, you know, end for us all. And so I'll, I'll throw it back at him. I'll say, "Wow, you really seem to have some issues with death. When did that start for you? When did that right. fear, fear come about?" Where does that come from for you? And just ask them to explain themselves. I don't have to explain myself. I'm doing, I'm doing everything right. What, what about them is making them have to go through life so terrified of their own natural end? Right. And do you remember, when was the first time you, just aside from the, the um, crematorium, did you have any experience of death within your, just your personal life? Well, I had a couple. Um, I, there was when I was young, about eight years old. I saw a small child fall from a very tall balcony in my local mall wow. and hit wow. the ground, and it was a very, very dramatic event that really affected my childhood. And yeah. I had seen a How couple. So? You know, I saw. Um, oh, just maybe deeply terrified of death. And very, oh, very okay. afraid that my parents were going to die and that I was going to die and that my friends were going to die and that my dog was going to die. Wow. And okay. I, was, I was just, yeah, yeah, it made me, and I think I, you know, in sharing that experience, I found that a lot of other people have had that experience where some something about death, it affects them somehow early in their life, but we don't really live in a culture where they're allowed to have a conversation. So they have to shut up about it or pretend to not be interested in it or pretend not to be worried about it and hide it from the people around them. And that's what I did. I was, I was, I didn't ever publicly, it wasn't like every day I was crying about death. It was just all inside of me, but it was the secret terror that I had. And part of the work I do now is to try and make sure that other people don't have to go through that children or adults to have that secret daily terror of death. 
And I saw some other things. I saw an embalmed body when I was, you know, probably 10 or 11 of of my cousin's husband's father. And uh, we weren't very close, but even then I was like, oh, this doesn't really look like him. I don't know how I feel about this body. Um, And that's sort of how I feel about embalmed bodies to this day. Well, it's sort of di- when we say that we say the body and then him, <laughs> we, there's, we, there's that uh, that duality that philosophers and quantum physicists and everyone has been trying to make sense of between the body and what we call the self, and is one the other? Um, when did you start trying to answer that question for yourself? Well, I think it was really when I when I worked in the crematory. And I had these physical examples every day of of dead human bodies. And I began to think of them as these beautiful shells, is something I've called them, because it's so clear that there's no one there anymore. It's so clear that they have left the building. But at the same time, it still feels like a sacred object somehow. It still feels like there's there's something there and that it's worth respecting and worth... um, being present for and witnessing. And that's why one of my, a big part of my advocacy is, is sitting with the dead body and being present with the dead body. Because I think that, you know, you mentioned earlier, a funeral should be about grieving for the person, but it should also be about grieving for yourself and grieving for the fact that death exists in this world. And it's my contention that, that having the dead body there and just sitting with it and taking some time to, to be silent and and be present has that effect. It leads you to think of all those things. Yeah. You know, um, so I write, I used to write fiction. I don't anymore. I write about my own life and the things that interest me very, very much. Uh, But one thing that never changed whether I was writing fiction or nonfiction is that whenever I write, I tend to be surprised by my work, Um, even when it's a subject that I'm very, very versed in, which is kind of what I write about now. And so for you, when you wrote this book, you had you, you, first of all, you have your own ideas about death. Obviously, you live it and think about it and talk about it all the time. And then you went and had these experiences. But what did you discover writing this book that you didn't know before you, write it, you wrote it? Well, I think I, I think I had the sense that what I was going to find was going to confirm my advocacy. You know, I, had, I think I knew uh-huh. that other places around the world tend to have a more open relationship with death, tend to be more involved, um, and that we really are, America really is the world leader in death denial. And so I, I felt like that was going to be the case. Oh, yeah. Oh, are yeah, we? For sure. Oh, yeah, title holders. Figures. Okay, all right, yeah. fine. <laughs> so uh, we, you know, I, I figured that that was what I was going to find. That was my thesis. But, uh-huh. um, you know, going going out and actually seeing it and, and realizing, cause, you know, I, I've, I've been steeped in death for, I guess, 10 years now since I started working at the crematory and even beyond that with my academic interest. And it's at this point, it's, it's I do still get so excited by it, but it's rare to find something that really blows me away and blows my mind. And so being yeah. able to have those experiences while traveling and, and realize that I'm still able to just be delighted. One example was they have this thing in Japan, in Tokyo, called a corpse hotel. It's called the Lastel, <laughs> a portmanteau of last hotel, as in the uh-huh. last hotel you'll ever stay at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, it's a place where a family can come 
at any time, and they'll whisk the body out into these individual rooms, and you can just hang out with the body. It's not like an American wake where you get between 5 p.m. and 6.30 p.m., and you sit, you get to walk by the body, and that's it. You can come any time of day or night and just be with the body and sit and hang out forever long, however long you want. And that, to me, was so exciting because it completely changes how comfortable a person can be being there. You don't have to rush in and rush out and feel uncomfortable. You can really take the time you need to sit with the body. And I was so excited by this concept. And I wanted to, in my recorder, I had a recording device, device that I was listening to the interpreter on. And, you know, it just, I just, you can hear me on the recording go, I want it. I want the corpse hotel. I want the corpse hotel. <laughs> so I'm so excited by the concept. And it's nice to still be able to, to have that, you know, to be so excited by these death concepts, even so far into my career. Now, if someone were to go to your, um, your home, your funeral home, what would, mm-hmm. what would they experience going there as opposed to going to my corner funeral home? Right. Well, it would, it would depend on what they wanted, but the reason to come to us would really be because you wanted to be more involved. You know, did you right. want to, is your mom on hospice at home? And do you want to, when she dies, let us know she died and then just call us when you're ready. That could be two hours. That could be six hours. That could be a day just taking your right. time with her and, and we'll come get her when you're ready and we'll support that and tell you how you can do it. Um, do you want to be there for the cremation? Do you want to witness the body being loaded into the cremation machine? Do you want to be there for the natural burial? Do you want to, you know, help shovel the dirt back on on top of your dad, you know, and be be involved physically in helping to bury him? You know, the more involved you want to be in the process, the more that we'd be an appropriate funeral home for you. You know, I think you're doing a great service, um, no pun intended, uh, actually. <laughs> um, but that, I, what I've learned is someone who, I'm a talker and a writer, but communication is a big part of what I do. And fear, fear really thrives in silence and darkness, I think. And I, and I think that just the act of being able to talk about something, whether it's disease or cancer or death, I just think it automatically changes your relationship to it, especially if you can be if you can talk about it in a way that is framed by someone who has a a grounded relationship to it. I just think communication, because mm-hmm. the biggest it sounds like the, when when you're describing your childhood experience with that child, the biggest thing was that nothing was said, that there was no because my boys came to me early and like Dad, I'm terrified of death, and I was like, okay, well let's talk about that, you know. So we would have this long conversation about death. And this happened very early for both my boys. And I just think it just being able to talk changes your relationship to what you believe you're afraid of. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah, 100%. And we need people, and I tell people this all the time when they ask, what can I do to help? And what you can do to help is be the deaf person in your community. Be the person that people know is safe to talk to about this and who's not only yeah. will hear your dark thoughts and, you know, is, is going to hear your dark thoughts and go, yeah, that's awful, but totally normal. I totally get it. You know, or if somebody dies, they know how to work with a funeral home. They know the laws. They know, you know, they're not afraid of death. And if you, you're the person in your community who's not afraid of death, you can do so much good in the world by just yeah. by just being someone who people know they can trust and and they don't have to, you know, because so much damage is done when people are either grieving or in fear of death, and they just find 
silence and coldness all around them. I agree. I agree. I just I do think that the fear of death is is the number one thing that keeps people from living their life fully. I, I just see it again yeah, and again in so many you're different ways. to the ways. choir with me. I just, I really do. Um, so I, I, first of all, I have one more question, but I'm not going to get to it yet. Before we get to that last question, uh, uh, so the book came out a little while ago. I told you a story when we were off air about how my, my son's girlfriend got to see you speak in, in D.C., and she was very happy about it. So obviously you've been on the road a little bit. Are you, are you still hitting the road for this book, or are, are you back home doing your work? I just got home yesterday, and I have one wow. more event at the L.A. Public Library. It's my final event, and I basically the whole month of October I was I was on right. tour, a very appropriate month for it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm gonna need a little. I need a little time off. I right on this couch, maybe watch some Stranger Things. You know, oh, <laughs> take a, oh. take a bit of a moment. Oh, I, don't, I saw Stranger Things. I kind of liked it. Uh, well, okay, but people can learn about you. Got to, you're all you're you. Speaking of platforms, you got a wonderful platform. You, they can check you out on YouTube. My my producer RJ has got it up uh, in the in the live chat. But if folks listening in, if they go to your website, will that send them? Is that the hub of your internet empire? Sure. I mean, you can honestly just Google mortician and probably find out who I am and find me. But um, <laughs> yeah, ask a mortician is the web series. Um, okay. CaitlinDody.com, OrderOfTheGoodDeath.com. You'll find. I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. I'm the death okay. girl on the internet. You'll you'll be able to she's find the, me. She's the death girl. Okay, but all right. Well, listen. Mm-hmm. I got one more question for you. Uh, and what I'd like you to do is finish the sentence for me. If <gasps> if writing has taught me anything, it's taught me what? Ooh, it's taught me that it's the one medium that can connect and storytell to people like nothing else. I can't do it with videos. I can't do it with talks. I can't do it with TV or radio. It's writing the books that has really helped me get my message across in the way that I want to. That's awesome. Well, speaking of the choir, just preaching to it right (laughs) now. All right. Well, Kaylin, it has been a pleasure. Uh, I think you're doing great work and uh, I look forward to your next book, assuming there's one to follow. Oof. <laughs> not well. <laughs> Probably yes, but let me let me watch my Stranger Things first, and then we'll we'll talk. Yeah. Good idea. All right, Caitlin. Me. Take it easy. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye bye. It's a good medium. It's a good medium. You get to use your reader's imagination. Very powerful. I won't be back next week. I'm teaching down in Portland. Again, you want to sign up for Fearless Writing? Go to my website. Doing a one day, half day workshop there on Wednesday can't do that just pick up the book until then go do something you love anything just love it